Welcome to the Literary Love Life Podcast, where a husband and wife read and listen to great things and discuss them. My name is John. And I'm Jillian, and this was all his idea. We're doing this because we love literature, and after all, we are lovers. Ew. The first thing we are discussing is the Hillsdale free course on classic children's literature. And you can... Um, uh, go on the, the Hillsdale site, just Google it, and you can listen to it. This is our third episode, and in this episode we're talking about beauty and the beast. And in this lecture, um, I forget his name. Do you remember his name, the professor? Dan. Dan. Is it? Dan was talking about, <laughs> I'm not sure. Oh, that's right. Dan was talking, uh, opened with a discussion of Tolkien's famous essay, uh, 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 a rite of passage essay for every Christian liberal arts aficionado on fairy stories. And um, Jillian, do you want to talk a little bit about on fairy stories? Um, yes. So... Um... So, oh, the main, oh, no. so, so the main thing he oh, talks, oh, wait, wait, talks sorry. about... It's Daniel P. Copeland. I'm just trying to look that up. Yeah, Dan. Uncle Dan. Okay, so so basically, on fairy stories, he... Um, uh, which is a really good talk, if you want to read it. Um, he... Uh, and this was the Andrew Lang lectures given at, I believe, Edinburgh um, that was formed into... An essay. So he um, tackles three questions. What are fairy stories? What is their air origin? And what is the use of them? Um, so... Um, yeah, so to sort of briefly... So on the origin, he says, like, where did fairy stories come from? And he provides three possible explanations. He calls them invention, inheritance, and diffusion. And inheritance is where you just have an individual person who invents this. Um, uh, inheritance uh, and diffusion are uh, basically borrowing in time and borrowing in space. So inheritance is borrowing in time. So you've inherited uh, all of these stories or themes or tropes and you kind of put this together. Diffusion is borrowing in space. I have some things to say about that, but do, do you want to say those now or do you want to? Um, no, my stuff is mostly on um, later. Okay, so... Um, so, I was, so there's this great quote in um, the book, uh, Understanding the Lord of the Rings, the best of Tolkien criticism. And it says, the latter two lead ultimately back to the first and do nothing to clear up the mystery of invention. That is to say, uh, the, the latter two uh, explanations for the origin of fairy stories, um, inheritance and diffusion. Um, so, you know, uh, diffusion is collecting st or stories from, you know, different places mm -hmm. around uh, the globe or your location. You, you know, and, and this is this is a fascinating thing that, that I was thinking about is that um, that ultimately, you know, this genetic question it's helpful, it's interesting, 
But it's not the deepest question, right? That is to say, and, and, um, the, uh, the, and the quote from, you know, the latter two ultimately lead back to the first, the question of invention, because... Mm-hmm. You don't get because, the answer from... Right, the, right, right. If, if you get them from somewhere else, time. still you're saying there's still some fundamental um, feature, features, characters, stories, plot lines that um, someone had to invent, mm-hmm. um, and the question is why, right? Or to, or to put it another way, you know, that, um, you know, even if, um, and of course all three of these are true in different circumstances and different situations, right? It's not mm-hmm. like the, the, all stories came about in the same way, right? They all, to differing degrees, whatever. But um, there's still this fundamental question of not just invention, but why is there such universal uh, uh, virtues and vices, plot lines in the world? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, and, and, and the famous uh, collector of these was the great Joseph Campbell, who wrote the the work the uh, the hero's journey, you know that was one of the big influences on um, uh, uh, McKee. What's his name? Robert McKee, the famous screenwriter now, and and Joseph Campbell. You know the hero's journey is about wh- where he was this professor who like looked at all these 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 ancient stories, kind of put them together into this Ur story, right? This ultimate story. But at the end of the day. You still have to ask the question about why is this universal? So many of these plot points or plots, um, and you know, and and let's briefly think about some of the answers, right? So popular today is the evolutionary answer, which I'm not sure if we've talked about. Have we talked about the? the kind of evolutionary knee-jerk response to everything nowadays? I don't think so. Okay, so th- this is, <laughs> I always find this like wa- very comical, right? Where, where today, because sort of staunch evolutionary perspective is like the main perspective, is that the explanatorily, the first principle for everything is to explain it in terms of fitness, right? So when I used to teach, I used to, you know, give my students the assignment of, I'm like, search for any phenomena, music, math, mustaches, plus evolution in Google. So you're like, mustaches and evolution. And inevitably, you'll find some article that's purporting to explain the phenomena by means of appealing to fitness, right? And... And one of the most important features of a good scientific theory or a good any theory is its explanatory power. Mm-hmm. And what I find about evolution, not that it's false in all of its tenets, but just that it is, it is wildly encroached past its proper subject Right, and so now there's a like whole disciplines sociobiology, where where you're taking the, that first principle of fitness and you're blowing it up to to, to 
these levels, higher levels, that it was never meant to explain. Like, what is this about? This is about the origin of species. It's, it's, it's meant to explain the development of species. And, but now it, it's got this just like monstrous mouth that, that consumes everything. And so, you know, like, and, and so this would come and say, well, and they would look at all of these plot points and they would say, this helps humans to survive because blah, 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 blah. Which I don't find so much false as just to be either obvious or banal or not very helpful or like ultimately like not complete. It's like, okay, it helps you to survive. Okay, but that's not the ultimate reason, right? Yeah. And nor does it necessarily have to be the primary reason. Mm-hmm. And so in contradistinction, I think that, the, that the, the Christian answer to this would be that no, because all of these, these are fairly universal features, whether they're features of characters or plots, is because the main story of the world mm-hmm. is those features are features of the main story. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this is like where um, I found his um, talk fascinating. It was later on. And this is a quote that um, really goes along with that point where he um, talks about the inner consistency of reality. And let me read this quote. Um, The mental power of image making is one thing or aspect, and it should be appropriately be called imagination. The perception of the image, the grasp of its implications and the control which are necessary to a successful expression may vary in vividness and strength, but this is a difference of degree in imagination, not a difference in kind. The achievement of the expression which gives or seems to give the inner consistency of reality is another thing or aspect needing another name, art, the operative link between imagination and the final result. So basically he's talking about um, this imagination is um, basically imagining something that is not um, in the real world. but that is not the same thing as um, creating a world or a story. Um, that needs another aspect, which is art. And he talks about this inner consistency of reality in story writing is that in this world, um, your world has to be consistent you can't, he talks about like, you can't, um, you have to be very convincing. If you want to create a green sun, you have to um, have logical reasons for that. It mm. has to be believable. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, but I think there's another dimension to this. Um, and he talks about this um, further in his talk um, when he brings up the gospel, um, where he says, um, The gospel contains a fairy story or a story of a larger kind which embraces all the essence of fairy stories. They contain many marvels, peculiarly artistic, beautiful, and moving, mythical in their perfect, self-contained significance, and among the marvels is the greatest and most complete conceivable eucatastrophe. But this story has entered history in the primary world, the desire and aspiration of subcreation has been raised to the fulfillment of creation. 
I'm almost done. The birth of Christ is the eucatastrophe of man's history. The resurrection is the eucatastrophe of the story of the incarnation. This story begins and ends in joy. It has preeminently the inner consistency of reality. So he, um, and we hadn't brought up this word that he invented, eucatastrophe, which Tolkien uses um, to describe this out of dark, utter despair, this joyful turn in the story. Um, the opposite of a catastrophe. Yes. So, um, like the... Which is, which is fascinating to me because, like, and, and, it's imp- and it's important to distinguish this from a deus ex machina, right? Mm-hmm. So deus ex machina is a sort of um, poor or improper literary technique where you resolve the story by brute force, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. something enters in and it just, all of a sudden everything's fine. Yeah. Which it might sound like that, but I, th- but I think the difference is, is what you said before, is that, is that the you catastrophic event is never inconsistent, mm-hmm. even if it is surprising. Mm-hmm. So, a, so warring against a deus ex machina does not mean... It's not, it's not the opposite of like, it's like, oh, now you have to be bland. You can still have novelty without inconsistency. Yes, it's true, he says, and it's um, many skeptical men have accepted as true on its own merits. Um, so bringing that back to um, this inner consistency of reality, which sounded like, what you brought up was like not only in these works of fiction, which are very difficult to do because they take it's um, because of the art that they take. Um, the inner consistency of reality has to um, work in these stories um, because they sort of mirror the inner consistency of mm. our reality, um, which is truth. Yeah, um, yeah, because 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 art is ultimately like imitation, right? The mm-hmm. Greek the Greek word for it is mimesis, and uh, you know, uh, yes, it's been largely abandoned in the modern period, but traditionally that has been, and it's no less true with narrative arts. Yes. Right, because 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 that's like obvious to think about. It's like if you're if you if you have like a painting or if you have you know a statue or mm-hmm. something, representation mm-hmm. imitation is obvious. Yes, but it's but 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 it's a little bit less so when you're talking about the literary yes. arts. Yes, and okay, so this is the last quote that I'll read from his talk. But to go along with that point is that. This can be um, an advantage of fantasy, but also can be turned against fantasy. And he says, fantasy, of course, starts out with an advantage, arresting strangeness. But that advantage has been turned against it and has contributed to its disrepute. Many people dislike being arrested. (laughs) (laughs) They they dislike any meddling with the primary world or such. I wonder if that was a joke in the original, if that was just like nowadays. Yeah. I don't know. 
They dislike any meddling with the primary world or such small glimpses of it as are familiar to them. They therefore stupidly and even maliciously confound fantasy with dreaming in which there is no art and with mental disorders in which there is not even control with delusion and hallucination. So fantasy has this aspect to it where if not done um, if not done correctly, can um, give the sort of appearance of, or it is, is sort of like no no rules. Like this okay, dreaming. Okay, this, this is sort of fa- super fascinating because it, it, it immediately makes you think of like, who, who are the great like world makers of, you know, and of course you think about Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings or you mm-hmm. think about, Whomever, like, like for some reason, Avatar. I haven't even seen it, but like Avatar comes to mind or whatever. Like these, these like grand movies with like yeah. And but the fascinating thing is when you, when you think about that, and and you think okay, like okay, you could understand if someone was like, this is a fanciful dude who just likes making up stuff, and you're like, no, 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 this is like. Th- those people are wildly precise. Yes. Right? And like we all know about Tolkien and yes. Silmarillion and, and invented languages and da, da, da. He and, spent and, years and years going over his work, changing it over and over right. and over or you th- again. Or you think, about, like, or think about the Star Wars world and you think all the, all the technical aspects of, you know, from <laughs> like scene consistency to like, ev- like everything where, where, where every minute aspect mm-hmm. is precise and planned yeah which is the opposite of the sort of some of the like gut feeling of fantasy whereas mm -hmm. like dreamland like sort of this narrative expression that is just like blah like and it's just the total opposite of it you have to like the farther you get away from this reality that you see you have to imagine that and live in that world to discover like the con- the logical consequences of your world. Yeah, 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 and yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, did you? Uh, oh, I I know you had had stuff on this, and I had a few thoughts too about. So, um, he also discusses in the lecture characteristic features of fairy stories, mm-hmm. and he talks about that they have uh, intros, you know, like. Once upon a time, mm-hmm. royalty, magic, and happy endings. Mm-hmm. Did you want to say anything about those things? Because I actually want to say something about something that's not in there. Um, no, well, I brought up the eucatastrophe, which is the happy ending, and that um, is sort of like essential to reality in, as seen as in the resurrection and... Um, but no, I didn't really have anything. Bad yeah, yeah. Um, so one one thing I was thinking, and, and this is a, an additional thing, and this is not uh, this additional feature that I'm going to talk about is not, I think, an essential feature because one, I don't know that much about fair stories, but it's just one feature of I think great stories that I see from the past that's missing from stories now, and that is that there is typically great. Uh, suffering or consequences for, for actions. Um, so in in uh, um, Beauty and the Beast, you know, you stole this rose, rose you're going to mm-hmm. die, right? Mm-hmm. 
or we've read to our kids a lot of these Grimm's fairy tales and they're like <laughs> surprisingly violent, mm -hmm. you know? And um, it reminds me, I, I listened to this um, screenwriting course years ago and she said in this that one of the characteristic features of beginning writers is that they're too easy on their characters. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, um, and you see this in, in not only, um, you, you know, beginning writers, but you see this in the kids' literature today where nothing particularly interesting happens. I mentioned this before with like the dumb... Arthur books mm -hmm. th that that they're, it's just like a series of events. And he, he just you know there's this one that he, he just gets on a, a bus and like goes to school and like nothing like whoever the author of that is is like very easy on Arthur. Which you're like what? And, and it would be fascinating to think about this more about what is what is the um, presumably it's it's an impetus of protection. Like the author thinks that well. I don't want to, you know, you know, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to, um, uh, like harm this child in any way, but, but, uh, but the premise that should be questioned, of course, is, is showing them images of difficulty going to actually do damage to the child. And if we take <laughs> God's two books, creation and, and, and scripture correctly, I'm like, or, or as, as evidence for this, mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, it, and uh, it's just it, both, both in its, and it's interesting because like, you know, the two, the two features of, of, of great art, it's form and it's content. Um, and it's, uh, or to, to say it another way that, that, you know, the purpose of art is to educate and to entertain. Mm -hmm. It's like both of those in modern literature are lacking. They're like both aesthetically and morally bland. Mm -hmm. Yes. And just um, thinking about how we change like as humans and what affects us um, just on like an emotional level, um, like dramatic things change us and yeah. it just reminds me of one of my favorite authors Flannery O'Connor and like her stories I know you don't love her but like she uses these shocking moments of yeah. grace yeah. to sort of um yeah just <laughs> like get across to like what like if you're in this sort of like spiritual blandness or dim-wittedness or whatever, like you need shocking moments mm. to like change you as, and obviously that depends on your child and how sensitive they are. And, well, so, so one of the, the um, one of the fascinating connections here is like one of the, you know, like I'm, I'm a designer by trade and one of the fundamental aesthetic features is contrast. So mm -hmm. a lot of times beginner designers if you got like two, like if you get like a heading and body copy or, or something, it'll be too close, and 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 one of the things is like yeah. no no you need to like 
It's like one like good rule of thumb, for instance, is have one really big thing on the page, one medium sized mm -hmm. thing, and one small. Yeah. Or like, and you, and you need you need things to be contrasting because you see the difference. The hierarchy is clear. You know how to, your attention is directed. Mm -hmm. And it's just, and it's the same thing with literature. Like there needs to be contrast. This is okay. Th th this is one of my this is one of my arguments about why Seinfeld is far superior to Friends, and okay. I cannot. I don't think I've seen either. But <laughs> you've not. Wait, you've never I mean, seen I guess Seinfeld I guess I've seen Seinfeld. I've, I know I haven't watched. Friends. Well, you're not missing that, that much, and <laughs> and one of the one of those things is uh, uh, is that they fundamentally Friends lacks contrast. That is to say, the characters are all very similar. Yeah. Whereas mm -hmm. you get into, um, and I think this is true in The Office too. Well, I was going to say The Office is, beats them all. Well. <laughs> that's another argument for another time, but um, but that's true. The Office too is that it has good contrast. Mm -hmm. The characters are very different, and um, um, same with Seinfeld. And so all those permutations of characters, Elaine and Jerry, Jerry and Kramer, Kramer and Jerry, uh, are makes make it interesting and new because you can't anticipate. What's going to happen here with these two characters about this topic in this context? Because mm -hmm. they are just very fundamentally different. But but Friends feels very uh, it feels kind of bland because you're like oh this and presumably people like like it because if they maybe they aspire to be like them or or or, or they're that kind of person and a lot of times you're attracted to things that are like you. Um, but lacks contrast. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of crucial to the you catastrophe because you can't have this dramatic, joyful turn of events without being in a dark state of despair. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't make, by, make it to heaven by like one step and you're like, yay. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, the ascension requires flight. Um, okay, so... Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to chat about, about on fairy stories, or do you want to move to actually Beauty and the Beast? Um, yes, we can move to Beauty and the Beast. I know you have okay, so, a lot of uh, stuff on that. Okay, so I do have a lot of stuff on this. So, um, so Beauty and the Beast, the, what's fascinating is Dan, Uncle Dan talked about this. Is <laughs> yeah, that there's Uncle, Uncle Larry. Uncle Larry. And Uncle Dan. And Uncle Dan, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, is, is that you have similar stories all around the globe, Iran and mm -hmm, stuff like this, yeah. which is fascinating. But the, the English version um, dates back to a French woman whom we don't know tons about, Gabrielle Suzanne de Villeneuve. Um, the original title is La Belle et la Bête. No, no, no. La Belle et la Bête. La Belle et la Bête. Nice. Okay, so th this is like footnote, but like a fascinating linguistic thing, I think. Um, okay, so one, Belle, French for beauty, her name in the Disney series. Yeah. So it's a lovely little detail they did. Um, uh, but the other thing is, is this is like a totally tangential translational thing. Um, and that's, uh, so like w when you're in, when you like take a hermeneutics class, you're always, you're always told that something is lost in translation. Like this is always something that they like drill into you. Mm -hmm. um, 
And uh, well, and, and of course that's certainly true, but no one ever discusses whether anything is gained. So what if there's an excess of meaning and poetics in a text such that a translation could release more meanings, variations, permutations, not contradictory, but confirmatory and glorifying of the original message. And so here's a scriptural example. Hosea 7, 11 says, Ephraim is like a dove, silly and without sense. So the alliteration of the S sound in silly and sense adds a touch of carelessness to Ephraim's light dove-like demeanor, an alliteration that's absent from the, the Hebrew. So, and, 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 and I was thinking about this um, from uh, the French title, La Belle et la Bay. Bay. I don't know any French, so I'm just... Bay is the beast. Bay, yeah. And what's fascinating is that beast in English has more of like the masculine st, like harshness, mm-hmm. whereas the title in French, la baie, sounds more like soft and feminine. So that is to say, the, the, in the English version, mm-hmm. it's as if the, 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 the name sounds more like his exterior, where in the French version, the name close, more closely associates hit, uh, the beast with Belle, that is to say, they're, they, they are closer together than you might seem. So it's, so it's communicating like their internal nature because mm-hmm. we're, like, one of the things I want to talk about before is the similarities between the characters of Beauty and the Beast. And so okay. it's, it, was just, yeah. it was just interesting that mm-hmm. like, th- e- even, even in the, the sound of the different titles and different translations communicate two different things. And totally appropriate things, mm-hmm. yeah. um, depending on which part of the story you want to focus on with the title. Yeah, you know? that's interesting. Um, but, okay, so, so this was originally um, by this Gabrielle Suzanne de Villeneuve, and she, um, um, it was a much longer story, and uh, uh, it, it, one, one thing I read about it here was... Um, the t- uh, is a quote. The tale is novel length and influenced by the style of 17th century novels as it contains many subplots or intercalated stories, most notably the histories of Beauty and the Beast, mm. which really actually made me want to read the original because, so like intercalated stories where you just have like, you know, essentially a story within a story, mm-hmm. which is a common, which is a common feature it's like what they do in, in literally every, I mean, I guess it's different. I was thinking about A and B plots and most like sitcom, well, not sitcoms, yeah, sitcoms um, and shows. Uh, uh, I suppose intercalated stories have more of a hierarchy. So it's not A and B that are fairly on the same level of importance, but the intercalated story was one that comes like in between, mm-hmm. right? Um, but the, the, the important part is like, and, and this and this is this is this happens in um, uh, the Bible as well. So you think about like in the Joseph story, you have um, in uh, chapter thirty-eight where you have you know first you have Joseph and his brothers and he gets sold in things, and then um, and then you have the story of Judah and um, Tamar. Yeah. Right. And 
that, that's an intercalated story. Or, or like in Mark's gospel, the woman with a flow of blood is an inter, intercalated mm-hmm. story. And, and so, um, and, and the cool, cool thing about these is it allows you to have another level of meaning in the stories because that middle story, if the writer is skillful, is not a random, random intercalation, but relates to yeah. the exterior stories. On. Yes, and allows you to have a, have a, have a, 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 a deeper understanding of mm-hmm. both stories, but most importantly, the main story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting that, uh, uh, and I read, read one um, uh, journal article, well, no, no, just the first page of this journal article where it's saying, oh, people kind of viewed that the original is like, kind of bloated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, maybe it was, but I'd be interested to read it to see if there's yeah. actually more going on there. Actually, yeah, that would be interesting because I was, I would wonder if like her story contains some of the elements that the Disney story picked up with the, um, um, more magic at the castle and the, um, servants <laughs> turning into candlesticks or whatnot. Right, 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 right. <laughs> because Andrew spe- Lang's, yeah, okay, but but, but speaking, speaking of which, we're not talking about hers. We didn't read that one. We read uh, an English version um, by Andrew Lang. Interestingly, the same Andrew Lang that uh, Fairy Stories was given a lecture on. Mm-hmm. Um, was, and, and so he was like, he was a super famous Scottish, dude. Scottish man in the 20th, 19th century, was it? Uh, yeah, and in, into the 20th century. And he was just like wildly prolific. Yes, wildly and his wife helped prolific. him out too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and here, here's a quote about Andrew Lang, the divine amateur of letters who wrote indeed only and ever of things that he loved brought forth out of that deep love and out of that elusive quality which we are fain to call genius, writings in poetry and in prose that are most shamefully underrated. So shame on us. That part was from me, the shame on us. Not Wikipedia. No. <laughs> um, okay, so, so it's the Andrew Lang version uh, that we uh, read in this and that we are going to discuss now. Now, I found reading this Beauty and the Beast to be super fascinating mm-hmm. because... Uh, well, is this the first... This first is time the first time. Yeah, oh, yeah. The first version, really, probably, of any version of Beauty and the Beast that you've I've read. read, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I just saw, I mean, I probably read a book, but it was like a movie or whatever. But yeah, for sure. And, 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 and the thing that it was particularly interesting to me is a similar feature that I found interesting about the book of Job. And that is that most of Job is the conversation between their friends which is the thing that never gets preached by anyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's in terms of the actual quantity of material, you know, Job is what, 42 chapters? And like, I don't know, 36 of those chapters are these conversations between Job, Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar, mm-hmm. Elihu, God. But <laughs> no, one, no one reads those. Now, similarly, in Beauty and the Beast... Uh, well, l- well, let me say one other, one, other, one other thing. So, so typically, like about Job, you, like the preacher will preach a few on the first couple chapters, few maybe one or two on the middle, and then uh, one or two at the end. Yeah. 
Well, but the, the whole middle is the bridge between the beginning yeah, yeah. and the end. Like why do, why right? is it in there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, well, and, 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 and the author wants us to spend most of our time on the middle because that's the most of time material, right? Okay, so in Beauty and the Beast, what's fascinating is uh, a large chunk, I'm not sure if I would say most, but a large chunk of it is beauty in the castle of the beast exploring the castle, mm-hmm. okay? And, and you have to ask yourself, why? Because we don't focus on that. And actually in the, the lecture itself, uh, I don't know if he talked about it at all. And he did the same thing with beginning and end. Now, it was a very short lecture and there's constraints of time, so I'm not faulting him for that. But nevertheless, um, and, and, and the important part about this is because often, and especially with, um, I just made a video for my YouTube channel, The Bible is Art, um, about uh, Zacchaeus, right? And th- th- this is the same feature of Zacchaeus, is that you have all this time about him and the tree and going up and stuff, and you're like, what is this about? Mm-hmm. What is this about? But when, when we have stories that we're so used to, normally we focus on the things that are most common. But you have these, sometimes when we, when we like, I, like I talk about like information distribution in the story. We like, how did the author distribute the actual information about different things? And so you have like Beat and the Beast where it's like all this time in the castle, exploring mm-hmm. rooms. It's like, why is that in there? Yeah. You know? And, um, so there are all of these features that because because every like every feature of a story of great authors, great artists contribute to the main themes and theses of the work. So you have to ask yourself, what's the deal with this castle and exploring this castle, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I thought it was super fascinating. I want to talk about some of these things, but why don't we start out with like a summary of Beauty and the Beast? Okay. Do you want to summarize it? Um, okay, I will try to do that. Okay. I read this, I guess, not too long ago. Okay, I read and it today. And I've, I've also, we've also, I've also read different versions. Um, so let me try to hopefully get this right. So, um, once upon a time. In Wait, a, are you just going to read it? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, the story starts out. Um, a merchant and six sons and six daughters. Um, and, and we don't have their names. No. And also, actually... But that's important. Side point. Because... Um, which I found, which I was like, I couldn't figure out. But, um, and maybe I'm not even going to get this right. But, so it starts out six sons, six daughters. And then um, later on, it mentions, or the beast, or the it mentions like, like the beast mentions like one other daughter or something. It makes it seem like there's only like two daughters. So anyway, maybe I'll find oh, that. Oh, right, right, right. Did you find yeah, yeah. And I was like, wait a oh, second. I, yes, I, I do remember that. I thought like, there's only two. And then be like, oh no, there's six sons and six daughters. So I was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Wondering yeah. when. I have no idea. Um, so Merchant was very rich. Misfortune befell him. He um, lost everything. Um, so they had to move their family from this life of Prosper to a little, um, cottage that was, um, 
they were basically in poverty, very different life. Um, so after a couple years, the father received news that one of his ships come in, came into port. Um, and so he um, went to go reclaim his fortune. And before he left, he asked his children what is one thing they would want. Um, um, so all of the children, all of his kids um, requested these grand extravagant gifts and beauty. She is the one person, which by the way, she was the one person who had a, a good attitude through this whole process and was cheerful and worked hard and um, was pretty on the outside and in the inside. Um, she requested a rose. So her father left and he found that um, yeah, so she, so, so all the girls, uh, wait, yeah, they, they requested like, a, yeah, all yeah, this stuff. And she's like, like she's like, oh, I don't want anything. But like, it, like, and, and, and he, and he, he was like, Hey, but you, you know, he, he had, he had to, he had to coerce her into to even yeah, yeah. requesting anything. Yes. Um, so yes, he goes, he finds his ship had come in and yeah, I have get this part confused because the version that I had read was all the stuff was spoiled, but it was good. But his, I guess his merchant friends had already divided it up among themselves and taken his wealth. Was that right? Yeah, I don't remember. It was gone. Yes. So they, so yes, he didn't have anything even poorer than ever. He travels home um, and um, there was a deep snow and bitter frost. So his course couldn't carry him any further. Um, and then he sees um, an avenue of trees. These are orange trees, which right. So yeah. now, right away, we have the f like the first. I think the first um, picture of magic. This orange, this grove in the middle of winter, mm -hmm. like um, blossoming flower, fruit, and flowers. Um, so he goes um, up to this castle well okay so let me stop on the orange thing mm -hmm. so you know one of the main themes of this is uh the interior and the exterior mm -hmm. right um and it's not i'll talk about this later just that interior is better and exterior is bad right because oh with her appear like um yeah, beauties yeah. well and the, yeah. and and the beast and everything like this mm -hmm. but what's interesting about the orange groves is this is this is an image that's consonant with with this with the themes of the importance of internal beauty because, like externally, you have this winter storm, but yet these oranges are growing. So there must be even on like a natural level some sort of internal energy, mm -hmm. warmish soil, yes. you know, water, whatever that is able to generate these oranges. So you get a, like a naturalistic picture here of that theme, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, um, so he's starving. He goes into the castle um, and there's like food appears for him, um, even though he doesn't see anybody. Um, and then he awakes and is refreshed. Um, and he goes down into the garden um, 
And um, yeah, so now he his his horse is fed and um, he's ready for his journey home. And then he comes upon this hedge of roses, um, these exquisite flowers, and he remembers Beauty's request. Um, and he um, picks a rose. And then this is when the beast appears and he's very angry and confronts the merchant in a terrible voice of why he is picking his roses. Um, and um, I don't, I won't go into too much detail, but the father is, um, he's sort of almost blames beauty for this. Yeah, a little bit. So, yeah, there's like Genesis themes here. In, of like, yes. Like blaming. Yes. There's you know. Edenic themes and, oh, yes, in, in, in blaming and, um, because he's like, he's like, I, beauty made me, I mean, he, he's more gentle about it, but it's like, beauty yes, made me do it. yes. And then the beast he's also, just, he's, like, he's like, you got to die. Yes. You told us. And, um, um, but then he mentions the beauty's request and then the beast is, says, changes his tone. It's like, okay, well, I'll accept the ransom. So th your daughter has to come, um your daughter has to come willingly to live with me forever. Um, like if she doesn't come willingly, she can't come. Um, um, so he says, if any one of, of them is courageous enough and loves you well enough um, to save your life. Um, so he lets the merchant goes home and gives him a month to go home um, to, um, see if any of his daughter, daughters will take his place. Um, so, um, he comes home. Yeah, so, and so, so then, the, so then um, Beauty says, hey, uh, so the daughters aren't happy, but Beauty's like, hey, if I've, uh, this is my fault, so I should, go, I should go do this, you know, justice dictates, which is interesting because this is the first similarity that we see between the beast. Because we've only had one introduction to the beast. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we know two things about him. One is that he's generous. He feeds this man. Mm -hmm. Two is that he's just. Right? Mm -hmm. And it almost seems like a severe justice. Because he says, death of... And, and the merchant will say this. Like... This seems kind of extreme. I didn't think it was such a big deal. We got all these flowers, whatever. But interestingly, uh, Beauty will say, uh, like completely understands this justice. And so both the Beast and Beauty have an acute sense of justice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And she was determined to go with her father back to the castle. Um... And so she comes with her father back to the castle. You can see that um, she's much more courageous than her father and um, um, answers the beast um, that she has come willingly. Yeah, let me, let me stop here because this is, this is an important point. Beauty has a very fascinating character because um, uh, she, she has a fascinating sort of dual disposition where... 
she has twofold reactions to things. So she reacts, for instance, she acts naturally to the sadness of her father's mm -hmm. loss uh, originally, but then she's like, the, the narrator tells us, oh, but she, she got to working and tried to cheer everyone else up. Um, um, when she sees the beast, oh, when they, when they take the trip back to, to actually go to the castle, they, th there's this sort of a supernaturalistic experience with like this horse that she it says it feels like it's flying, and then all of a sudden, like there's like lights everywhere and fireworks when they're going back, and you know she's going to presumably her doom. We find out later that she actually thinks she's going to be eaten by the beast. Um, but it, and, but it yeah, talks and about, she makes, even makes a joke about oh the beast is probably happy at us arriving, like his prey arriving, like trying yeah. to make a joke well, about it. Yeah. So, so, but then it says she almost like enjoyed this trip, or and then when she sees the beast. She like, oh, this is the same thing. She sees, the, she sees the castle, which, you know, is like big and hard and stony, but it's also illumined, and that was interesting to her. So she had these two reactions. And then she meets the beast, and um, like, he's scary, mm -hmm. but yet her, her reaction is um, uh, very uh, uh, proper. And, and so she, and, and she like forces herself. So, yeah, you see so, this internal struggle this battle in which she is being courageous in that she's not like, oh, like nothing matters and like I don't care, this is going to happen, but just like she gets it and she like feels things deeply, but she's made this choice to be create courageous. Well, well, and this, con this connects to the interior-exterior theme of the thing, which once again is not just that exterior bad, internal good. Mm -hmm. No, she's, a, she per she's able to perceive interiors and exteriors mm -hmm. right so she she's able to perceive uh uh for instance that good could come out of this disaster when she gets to work and she's trying to mm -hmm. that um for instance in their trip to the thing there was aesthetic features even on the trip like there are these beautiful fireworks this yeah. horse she talks mm -hmm. the, the, the horse that brings yes. them talks about as though it's flying so like even though there's this there's this darkness because she's going to her doom, presumably. Mm -hmm. She's like, there's still this beauty here. Yeah, represent beauty and like visual and internal. And yes, she is. So she has a, this dual disposition because she has a dual, um, uh, the ability to perceive interior and exterior. Yes, and she even perceives, like whereas her father um, once, um, like the beast um, brings him into this room with the gold, he assumes the merchant automatically like assumes, oh, he's mocking us. Like we can't, like we can't carry all this away. And then, but no, she um, like assumes and perceives the best in the beast. I cannot believe that he meant to deceive us. So let's just try this out and like keep going. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and I sort of wonder about this, because um, like twice in this story we see this uh, lighting uh, of fireworks, lights, mm -hmm. orange trees or whatever. And so I was like wondering, like, why is this? And that, so that happens on with her that. journey to the castle. And I wonder And if, at the end, you mean? like Yeah, the at the queen, end, too. Yeah. And I wonder if... Um, uh, 
And so she's like enjoying this trip to her doom. And like, why? And, and, I, and I wonder if, is it possible that she and nature, because um, these are like supernatural things, right? Or mm-hmm. su- supranatural. Um, that she and nature are more excited about justice than temporal loss. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess, so she, so and she, also, I mean, there could be an element of just cause hope. Because, 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 like, well, yeah, yeah. Because, like, because, like, nature is exciting, mm-hmm. and she is exciting. Yeah. And you're like, but this doesn't make sense because she's going. Yeah. And just like this, I think it is. There's also this like element of hope about in like like eternal justice and. Um, like where she sees, like when her when when her father assumes that like the beast is tricking us, like she says, like let us wait and see, like let's just wait and see. Like she's always hopeful that there's going to be like poetic justice at the end. Yeah. It. I mean. Yeah, and it's interesting because she she actually grows in her. Um, ability to interpret because you know like the nature of the interior is that it's hidden mm-hmm. right so we don't we only have access to people's exteriors and so we need to be good skillful interpreters because we essentially have to look at people's actions and their words and put together a story of their internal state that's true mm-hmm. you know and so um, and she becomes a better interpreter because at first she'll say, you know, she gets, so we haven't talked about this, but she has these dreams, yeah. um, about where there's like a prince and, uh, and it's, it says all this stuff about, I don't even remember now, but like, uh, well, he, like the prince, like, do not trust too much your eyes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, she yeah. doesn't get it. At yeah, first. yeah. 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 And and, 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 and her interpretation at first is, oh, like, who's this prince who's, like, super attractive? This beast must have this prince in jail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, so she's, she has a set of data, right, about the beast, about the location, about, about these things, and she has to tell a story. She has to interpret it, and, and that's her first go at it, right? But interesting, late, interestingly, later, she's going to say, um, uh, with the beast that like, I know that you did not become beastly because of something that you did. Once again, mm-hmm. th- she was never told that, right? She's interpreting it. That's after her whole journey. So, okay, okay let me, let me like, so the main chunk in the middle is uh, uh, I keep wanting to say Belle, Beauty, uh, going through the castle and exploring all the rooms, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and we okay, we need we need to talk to this uh, talk about this now because I was alluding to it before when you're saying um, what is this actually about? So I think that the castle is an image of the beast. Okay, interesting. Okay, because. Um, and, and that's why it's the heart of the actual book, right? So she goes around, and there's different things in all these rooms. But 
in, interestingly, there are these like internal things. So she goes to this library that says every book she could ever read and she can go there. There's things with a bunch of musical instruments that she can go play. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, let me read this right here, something that I wrote about this. I think the castle is an image of the beast and beauty progressively explores all these internal goods that are beautiful and but can't be seen from the external menacing because remember you're in a castle right and so it's this like brick hardened Mm -hmm. thing just like the beast take for example the room so there's one room with nothing in it but windows covered up by black curtains and under the windows there are chairs yes okay so she goes down and she sits in these chairs and then the windows open and there's like this light show this pantomime that goes on what's the point the point is she's exploring, because she's spending all this time in the castle, she's getting to know the beast. This castle is a reflection of him, or it's an image of him. And so she, mm-hmm. um, um, as she sits down, that is an image that means she's uh, making her home with attending to, committing to the beast, this place, this room. It's at that point that the nature of these things gets opened up. Well, so she goes in this room and it just looks black, but it's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 but you got to spend time and give proper attention to this thing. And then you can see what's actually going on. Yeah. The lights, this exterior, all these beautiful things. And so, because on the, on the exterior, it looks like this like hardened thing, but you need, you need time to explore that. Oh no, this is actually a wonderful place. And so she, as she's exploring, she's yeah. actually discovering about the beast. Yeah, and it's true because you see her interacting with the castle much more than she does with the beast. And that's actually interesting because it's like that's how it's represented in other versions, like the Disney version. Like you see her interacting with the beast and getting to know the beast mm-hmm. together. They're together more often. Yeah. Whereas here, she's interacting with the castle and getting to know the castle. Um, better, and we just see be- the beast coming to ask Beauty, will you marry me? And then, but after a while, you see that um, she, her attitudes towards the beast changes, even, it, even, like, um, even though it doesn't appear their interactions have been, like, they've had tons more interaction. So you'll see, like, she ceased to be afraid of him because she she knew he was really gentle in spite of his ferocious looks and his dreadful voice. So she's getting to know the beast, but yeah. what all we're seeing is her getting to know right. the castle. Right, right, yeah. Um, uh, so on the night that she's, so there's one night where she's like really missing her family and the beast asks her what's wrong and the narrator tells us that she speaks freely because she's not scared of him anymore. And so, of course, the question is why? Like, why is she not scared of him? Well, because she spent all the time getting to know him, exploring his world. Um, And interestingly, twice the Beast will propose marriage to her, once, like, right at the beginning, and she says no, which is fascinating. Is it it only twice? Uh, Every evening. Oh, well, well, maybe that's, like, a summary statement, but I think we we only actually hear it twice. But... Um, once at the beginning and once at the end when she actually marries him and then he's transformed, right? But um, the first time she asks him, 
uh, will you marry me? I sort of wonder if it's also a test of, of the beast of her internal character, where this is not just um, an exploration of the beast character, but also the beast exploration of her character. Because, you know, he, he asks, will you marry me? But, and she says, no. But, and, and, and you might think on first reading, they'd be like, oh, well, you should just like say it and then you would get out of it. And like, but that would really be an unjust action mm -hmm. because like you have to know something about someone to, to be able to love and to commit to them. And if she would just do this, it would be a utilitarian action, right? So even like that uh, seems to be, you know, the beginning of the beast's exploration of her, where because like, for, you, you know, he, he gets to know her interior as well. And so it's not improper. That was her first sort of like past test from him because it's like, oh yeah, you shouldn't marry me yet. Yeah, well, he doesn't um, put pressure like he says. I mean, she feels pressure and yeah. he says, just say yes or no without fear. Yeah. Well, and and I so... I also wonder because because I because as I think about it, I'm like, okay, what what is this? What is this story like ultimately about? Um, and I sort of I, I'm I'm not sure, right? Because there's always, you know, like if you're trying to put like uh like a hierarchy together of like what's the main thesis, and then there's like a bunch of like sub theses, right? So I don't know, but well, there's yeah, I mean, in every I feel like it's it's I mean you have. Aesop's fables where you have like one moral of the story and mm. then you have like fairy tales and stories that have themes and they explore different like yeah there's different motifs and themes that yeah yeah and so I was I also wonder if the beast is um if this is if this is about justice and the beast is an image of justice. Um, that is to say, and, and, and this work is a sort of uh, exposition of justice mm -hmm. because what is justice? It has this kind of cold exterior, right? This kind, mm -hmm. of, this kind of like harsh demanding thing, which we see, you know, like you take this rose, you die, there needs to be a substitute, da da da, da. But as you go through the story, and even from the beginning, we get, a, we get a small image of this because actually the first thing we see is his generosity, mm -hmm. right? But then we get the striking scene about him um, demanding this justice, which I think, I think actually should strike the read, like, because you, you always ask, like, you know, the great act of interpretation is understanding with whom the author is intending the implied reader reader to identify with, mm -hmm. right? And and what is our judgment supposed to be on you know everything essentially? Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that when the beast says that uh, oh you need to die because of this rose, I think that we are supposed to be conflicted about that. Mm -hmm. and, and that to see like, I mean yes. You shouldn't steal. There should be justice. But also, yes, that does seem kind of harsh. Yeah. So, um, but as we read, 
And there's a slow progression because of learning that the beast is actually this um, uh, fascinating, deep, generous uh, uh, person. And so that is to say, while justice has this sort of prima facie cold exterior, when you actually get to know justice, Mm -hmm. God, um, uh, it's much more complicated, complex than that, and complex in a good way. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, and so, so we, see this, we see this from the beginning. We see this when she's brought there and the merchant is going to come home and he's like, take all this gold for your, um, for your other daughters. Yeah. Which is sort of fascinating because you're thinking, wait, I just thought that the beast, this justice dictated you know, like all this stuff. And then you're just like giving all this, like tons of stuff away. There seems to be this sort of like incongruity, which is, which of course is the incongruity we feel sometimes with respect to God. And, and I always like to, I, I always like to think about it. Like when we read scripture, God is often more severe and more, forgiving than mm-hmm. we would be at different times. Yeah. And that seems kind of right and proper. Yeah. Right? If, if we always think that God is too severe or if we always think God is too loving, we are probably off the mark. Mm-hmm. You know, and so like depending on the story, we would have been like, nope, I would have done that differently. Yeah, like, because we, been... we don't see everything and yeah, yeah, we just, there's a lot more <laughs> to the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, did we, we didn't finish summarizing, did we? No, we didn't because I thought it'd be helpful if, if, if we sort of commented on the way because it was like apropos to that, that thing. Um, but I mean, there's not much left, right? Like she, she, well, so she leaves, um, to go visit her family because she really misses them. She realizes Mm -hmm. that she's happier with the beast. Mm Mm-hmm. So she comes back, she was given like two months. She comes back like a day before the thing and she finds that he's like almost dead. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then she, um, um, so when she comes back, he sort of revives. They have dinner the next night and he uh, proposes marriage. She says yes and immediately then you get another fireworks display Orange Groves again, um, and he's transformed into the prince. They get married happily ever after. Yes. Um, so, uh, so what, regarding the interior exterior thing, um, when when beauty's not with the beast, he dies. Right. So the. Because we, we could easily think that on a cursory reading that this is, this is like, oh, interior, better, exterior. It's like, no, 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 that's not what's going on. Um, and, you know, like that, like, that's, an, that's also like an easy but incorrect reading when we read scripture too. Mm-hmm. And we like jump to text like, you know, in Samuel, that like God looks on the, doesn't look on the physical appearance and like in the heart. I'm like, yeah, I mean, totally, but. But, yeah, I mean, you just have to look at the ending where creation. the beast 
turns into a handsome prince. Right, like right, Like, at the right. end, like, that is the restoration. So, um, and, and yeah, at the, at, at the end, like, she, she leaves, and he's dying, so there's, like, um, so I so I, I don't think that the thing is that you have these two different things, interior, exterior, one is better, and they're like totally unrelated. But when you have a proper relation mm-hmm. between the yeah. two, there's an interconnectedness between the two. And we see this in a couple ways. So for instance, um, we see this with the, like the fireworks creation type mm-hmm. stuff when uh, good actions are taking, creation responds, mm-hmm. right? Or... You see this in uh, beauties uh, getting to know the beast and then being mar- married, being married, willing to wed him. And this is a common experience for all of us that we have, where people physically become more attractive when we, if they have a beautiful interior mm-hmm. and we get to know that, yeah. all of a sudden they physically become more attractive. Mm-hmm. Right, so there's this like harmonious unity between the things um, that should exist, you know, often does not, and it can go both ways. Yeah, and this is so funny because it's like this is like a common trope: smart people are unkempt, beautiful people are dumb. Yeah, you know, which is just a super common trope, and it's so common because it's so true, and. Uh, but there's like a relation between these yeah. things. Yeah, and it's not so much, yeah, it's not so much exterior is bad or meaningless and interior is the only thing that matters, but just like dis- don't um, distrust exterior, um, the exterior appearance of things like when you don't know the actual Person. So, like, the exterior of things is the thing that is most easily accessible yeah. to our senses. Yeah. It's easiest to judge. But it's, like, the, the thing you have to pay attention to and work harder to get to is that relationship between the exterior and the interior. And that interior, like, what they are, um, like, that's what you get to, that's, that's what takes the work. Yeah. And don't rely on like the like first impression of the exterior. Yeah. Yeah. So any final thoughts? Beating the beast? Um let me see. Oh. <laughs> um Sort of, but not, I mean, it's general to stories and not. Um, So just in reading, just in reading these stories in general, um, it's just um, so evident and like how difficult it is to like tell a good story and create this world and um, just one of my personal goals is to just become a better storyteller Mm. and that even when our kids like ask us to tell a story on the fly which is like happening with our two-year-old every night like Mm -hmm. tell me a story Mm -hmm. to be able to come up with like a good story with 
a good beginning, middle, and ending, mm -hmm. and conflict and resolution, and, and unity, <laughs> coherence, and, and sort surprise. of like surprise on the level of a two-year-old. It's like well, yeah, like anything gotta, else, like music, like it's just improvisation, right? And usually, it's it is just taking from other stories and fairy tales and um, that, like I know, but yeah. Yeah. Well, th and, and that's what, like, whenever we watch an actually good movie, which is fairly infrequently, I, I always say that I'm impressed by the tightness of the story. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, like, nothing is out of place. Nothing can be added. Nothing can be subtracted. Everything is there for a reason. Every scene. So one, one of the... <clears throat> In another, uh, I'm not sure if it was the same one or a different one, but the screenwriting class that I took, um, one of the exercises is to just take, you have every scenes, you know, and it's broken up into its hierarchical structure about, mm -hmm. you know, like like scenes, episodes, acts, blah, blah, blah. Okay, but the, the fundamental thing is like a scene, and you put all your scenes together, and you take your characters, and you say, okay, uh, where does the character start in this scene yes. and where do they end? Mm -hmm. and, and each scene has to develop. Exactly. There has, to be, there has to be There's forward been, momentum. Yeah. And even if that means that the character, like, uh, so they, they can get better, they can get worse, they can even, like, but, but they can't, like, stay the same. Yeah. Now, stay the same might mean, like, they, they're confronted with something and they like reject it, but that actually means like they get worse, yeah, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah, and, and you have to do that and develop the character in a way that is like showing and not telling. Totally, <laughs> so totally. Yeah. It's like every, every scene needs to pull its weight. And yeah, and it can't be like that's easy to do when you make it very obvious. Like he was courageous in for this. For sure, for but sure. But it's like if you have to show them being courageous yeah. and <laughs> and there's a lot of um yeah there's there's way too much especially with like more inexperienced writers there's way too much exposition and this is this is the fascinating thing about um ancient literature is that uh it's very concise every detail matters um, um a lot of action Almost no interior dialogue, which I've wondered yeah, about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so very, like in the Bible, for instance, um, but I think this is true in like Homer too. Mm -hmm. um, you, we don't, we don't get a lot of, um, like we do in modern literature, about like these internal monologues. And yeah. I think that one of the reasons is, and I'm not making a judgment necessarily, I'm not going to have judgment, um, is that, if literature is supposed to train us for life, then uh, focusing narrative style on action and dialogue is, and then using the artistic form to craft that to some end, some thesis, right? That, that's, that's how real life is, right? I don't have access to your thoughts. Mm -hmm. I have access to your words and your actions. So if, if yeah. like, and, and you know, ancient literature has understood the pedagogical function of 
liter uh, of of literary art much more than we do today. Like today, it's much more on like entertainment, right? But um, but because they took that more much more seriously, I wonder if having a poetics that is that is largely based on action and dialogue, public dialogue, um, is mirroring life so as to train us to be able to act and interpret actions and words properly, you know, as opposed to, because you, you sort of think, not, not that it's wrong ever, but there's, it's, the, the pendulum is sung so far where you have like Streams endless, yeah, well, well and, 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 you, and you also have that's... this like an English department, something that my mother always complains about properly, I think, um, is that like in English departments in high school, you have so much journaling, right? Mm -hmm. Like your reactions to this as opposed to essentially the art of criticism, right? Understanding the objective purpose of the author in this text. Structure, development, plot, characters, right? Where you're essentially just doing literary exegesis, right? Which is the primary feature. You can always go home and write about your reaction, right? <laughs> and, yeah. and so, um, but once again, that's just another feature of, if you think that the literary art should be all about you know, like this interior stuff, it's like, that's a fairly modern thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, no, I'm just thinking about the, because it was, like we just, I just read Jane Eyre, and she was one of the, the first novels, like popular, that really, like, explored the interior of the character, and there was an actual self, like internal self, um, whereas you have, like, opposed to just, like, characters plot-based in this sort of epic or in okay, the story. Okay, so, so, so two thoughts about that. One, um, one uh, interpreter, James Jordan, t talked about, he's like, don't, talking about the Bible, don't psychologize the text. There's plenty of psychology in there. Mm -hmm. So what he's saying is that there is plenty of psychology in the text. When, when people want to psychologize the text, they, they essentially extract the psychology improperly. You are supposed to extract the psychology from the particular word choice, the, um, the, the pace, the actions, the words that are selected. Mm -hmm. So you're supposed to get it and not kind of like, pick one word and then go off into yeah, some yeah, theory yeah. or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. you're, supposed to, you're supposed to get to the psychology. So it's not, it's not, and I think this can be, be one thing where um, it, it's very difficult, it requires an art, but it's, but people think that it's, that, that um, ancient literature can be more cold and because you don't have this like interior aspect, which I think is completely false, it's just that the way that you access interiority is mm -hmm. different. Yeah. Now, uh, uh, one tangential note about the beginnings of that sort of interiority. So there's a, there's a big book, famous book called Sources of the Self by Charles Taylor, where he talks about, he gives his account of the sort of genealogy of interiority, this type of thing. He traces it back, I believe, back to like Augustine and his confessions, mm -hmm. right? Um, which I sort of have... Uh, 
questions about. I'm not sure. I mean, I just, I just don't know. But like, um, but uh, um, once again, to, to, to your point about Jane Eyre, it was only half a judgment. And I think that my, if, if you were to push me into a full judgment, I would just say that it appears to me that the, the pendulum has swung too far. Yeah, yeah. Not that it's improper, but just that people's, like, you know, students, when they get down, it's like, you know, I, I, there's a lot of knee-jerk reaction to interior dialogue, which I think is probably not good. Yeah. Well, there's good interior dialogue and bad interior dialogue where you have someone who's thinking through the world in, like, in a wise, discerning way, in a, and you can see their thought process from just, like, a, a truthful and Christian perspective. Yeah. And there's this just like, I'm going to spew out all my thoughts, whatever I'm thinking. Right, right, like right. there's just an art to one. And then right. it goes far enough where you're like, this is a stream of consciousness. Yeah. Whereas like, these are just like my thoughts one after another, after another, like there's been no, like, I'm not going to condense this into an art form. Yeah. 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 Well, cool. Well, thank you so much for listening in on our conversation next week. Snow White? The Snow Queen. The Snow Queen. Close enough. I guess it could be be so late. We'll see you then.